0: Guys, that's why we do what we do here at One Church, is to see lives changed. And uh, i got to be honest with you, stuff like that is is what, is what gets me up, you know, 5.30 every Sunday morning and be able to come out here and some of our volunteers. And I just want to thank you guys. Our first service, we, uh, we usually have some first-time guests, but i tell you, a lot of you guys are people who served uh, in second hour, and I just want to say thank you so much. Whether or not you're a whole baby or you're greeting, or you're on set-up or turn-down team, or you're in the band, or uh, you're helping out with our second, you know, our second graders, third graders, whatever, your children's check-in, um, the reason why we do what we do is because we expect two groups of people to show up. We expect people who have never been to church before, or maybe who have bounced out of church a long time ago, and we expect an almighty and holy God to show up. And we want to be able to get ourselves out of the way so that they can be able to experience God's love. So, anyway, thank you so much for being here. We're in the middle of a series on momentum where we're studying the life of Moses. I'm really excited about the message today because today's message is really a watershed moment in Moses' life and also a watershed moment in the two million people that he has led out of Egypt. Let me give you just some uh, context of where we've been if you've not been uh, with us up to this point. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. God is speaking to Moses from a bush that's burning, but it's really not burning. And God says this. Then the Lord told Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Some of you, you're here this morning, you're like, does God even care? Does God even know what's going on in my life? The answer is a resounding yes. So I have come down to, what does it say? Rescue them. Now, who is going to rescue the Israelites? Based on this verse. God is, right? He says, God says, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. And that's what we saw last week. We saw that God showed up and showed out. We saw that God sent 10 plagues. That God gave 10 chances for Pharaoh to be able to do the right thing. I mean, for God our God is loving and compassionate. In fact, the Bible says he's slow to anger. He gives multiple chances. God is the rescuer. And that's what we saw last week. Through 10 plagues, God miraculously delivered the Hebrews, the Jews, out of Egypt and Today, we're going to see God take the Israelites to their promised land, a land that God has promised them. Now, let's look at that, the good news and the bad news of this, all right? The good news, all right, the is into their own fertile, spacious land, into their own fertile and spacious land. That is the good news. But l- look at the, the bad news, and it's in this uh, same verse. You can go ahead and this <laughs> one. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the good news. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amurites, Prezorites, Hibites, and Jebusites now live. That's the bad news. Good news, it's a great land. Bad news, there's already people there. It's occupied. All right? So there's good news and bad news here. Now, last week we saw that God rescued. We saw Moses just show up. And we've been talking about, Well, I've said this before, 99% of ministry is just showing up. Moses showed up, and God did some amazing things. God is the one who rescued. Now, if God can rescue his people from slavery using 12 miraculous plagues and lead them through the Red Sea on dry ground, do you think that God can give them this land? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. So God delivered his people miraculously. He's the rescuer, and we're connecting the dots that God is now the provider. Now, I want to show you a couple of maps, if you will. This is a map of the, the land. Now, I'm going to kind of show you up, 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 up to the left. That green area is uh, the Nile. It's Egypt. And you can see it in these little small words up there. This is the land of Goshen. That's where the Israelites were. All right? So the Israelites are up there in the land of Goshen. And they're traveling down all the way down to the tip. You see that tip? That is where Mount Sinai is. Now, very interesting, when God shows up to Moses at the burning bush, he is just a a stone's throw away from that mountain. He's just a stone's throw away from there. And God, in his infinite providence, because he's in control, he brings Moses and the two million Israelites back to the same point where God first spoke to Moses. And that is where he gives the Ten Commandments. It's here where he gives the ten Here's a picture of the mountain, Mount Sinai. There it is, right there. So what happens is it takes the Israelites about forty days, thirty to forty days, to travel from Egypt down to the tip of that where Mount Sinai. Is so about forty days. Everybody say forty days. That's going to be really important here to say. All right, they travel forty days to the mountain. By the way, all the way from Egypt to, something on my sleeve, all the way from Egypt to Israel is 260 miles. All right? You know, many times when we think of the Bible and all this topography and stuff like that, we think it's so far away. It's not that far away. All right? How many of, uh, how many of y'all have done like a 20-mile a, a uh, march in a day? Anybody? All right? You did Kevin Paul? All right, All right, come on. Um I I remember I did a backpacking um, thing for, I did 120 miles in 10 days, all right? some of you are going, when was that? (laughs) I was a Boy Scout, I'm an Eagle Scout, and I went to a place called Thelma, and uh, it was in Cimarron, New Mexico, and it wasn't that long ago, so you can be quiet, all right? (laughs) Anyway. But throw, that, throw, throw that picture up there if you want, uh, the next one on there if you want. I want to show you this route they take, and you really can't see it good, I apologize. They go all the way down from that green area, all the way to the tip, and that is where they hang out for the next 13 to 14 months. This is where God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. Alright? It's, it's, it's on that mountain. It's there that they uh, hang out for 13 to 14 months, and God gives them the blueprint for a big tent that they were going to make where Moses was going to meet with God. It's not just the place where God hung out. It was more than that. It was a place where Moses met with God. And and the the word is called the tabernacle. And he gave all of these things, all of these rules, and all this. You know, it's so interesting. You need to read that. Um, it's, It's found in Exodus It's found in Leviticus. I mean, mean, all of this stuff happened there. Oh, thank you. That was really good. All right, cool. Um, uh, So uh, it happened the 13, 14 months there at Mount Sinai. So they're hanging out there for 13 to 14 months. Very, very important. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, this is what it says. When we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, You have stayed at this mountain long enough. It is time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites and to the land of the Canaanites. This is the promised land. Look. Now look at this. Look. Who's giving this land to you? What does it say? I. Who's the I speaking? God. God is the one giving it. For it is the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to all of their descendants. So they strike camp. They start traveling from Sinai to a little oasis called Kadesh Barnea. All right? Kadesh Barnea. In fact, here's another map of it. All right? Here you go. All right, cool. Now, they go all the way from Mount Sinai all the way up to Kadesh Barnea. And let me tell you where Kadesh Barnea is. It's right on the edge of the promised land. I mean, literally, you can take a a stone and you can lob it over to it. It's right on the edge. It's like the border. It's just, it's a border town. So they're right there. And there, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2. I'm going to read this and you can put that map back up. It says, normally, it only takes 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Barnea. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2 says. So how many days does it take... To get from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. 11 days. Alright, now let's, let's do some math here. All right? It took them about 40 days to get from Egypt to Mount Sinai. They stayed there for a year, year maybe a year and a half, 13, 14 months. And then it takes 11 days for them to get to Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. So total, how long does it take them to travel? 260 miles. Anyone? About uh, 51 days. All right? 51 days. Very, very interesting. Now, the Hebrews made it to Canaan 15 months after leaving Egypt. And it took them 11 days to get from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. Now, no more than a year and a half. Now, this interesting. What's interesting is we're going to see they have this opportunity to go into the land God had promised them. But they choose not to. And for the next 40 years, they're going to wander around this little oasis border town called Kadesh Barney. What should have taken about 51 days took them 40 years to get into. In fact, that's our first interesting point I want to throw up here. It took 40 years to get into the promised land, what should have taken only 11 days. And what we're going to be looking at today is why. Why is that? Why did it take them so long when it should have taken such a short period of time for them to get Second point is this. Of the 2 million people that God led out of Egypt, only 2 got to experience promised land living. 2 out of 2 million. Now, what are the odds? That's 1 out of a million. I mean, 1 out of a million is not great odds. And then those 2 people who got to go into the promised land, their names are Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. In fact, next week, we're going to be looking a lot at this guy by the name of Joshua. These guys were different than the all other two million of them because they had a different spirit. They had a different way of doing things. They had a different perspective. Look what it says in Numbers chapter 14, verses 24 and verse 30. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me, what's that next word? Wholeheartedly, You see, that's what made Joshua and Caleb different. They were willing to follow God with all of the heart. You see, what I did to see you and I have to do is we'll go, I'll follow you in this area. You know, I, I saw Act of Valor yesterday. And uh, the last, uh, the end of the movie, I won't ruin it for you. Um, The end of the movie, this guy comes on and starts monologuing and starts talking about soldiers. And what makes a good soldier is that they compartmentalize. And, uh, you know, I've got to be honest with you. Guys, we compartmentalize a lot. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. Because many of us, what we want to do is we compartmentalize God and we'll say, I'll follow God in this area of my life. But I won't follow you in other areas because it won't work. What's different about Joshua and Caleb is they didn't just compartmentalize God in one Sunday morning area, but they let God's influence flood their entire life. They followed him wholeheartedly. I'm going to continue reading. And I will bring them into the land he went to, and the descendants will inherit it. Caleb, son of Jephthah, and Joshua, who was son of Nun, in you All right? That's a God, a guy. Okay? So these two were willing to follow God wholeheartedly. They saw things differently. They were willing to do things differently. They were willing to see things differently than everybody else. So two million people around Kadesh Barnea, right at the edge of the promised land, took 11 days' journey to get there, right on the edge of their destiny. Right on the edge. I mean, all they got to do is put one foot out and they're there. Right on the very brink of the, of the abundant life that God wants to give them. So close, but not quite there. I mean, just right there. But it takes them 40 more years to get there. I mean, they're just skipping a jump there. But they choose to circle around this oasis town of Kadesh Barnea for 40 more years. Now the question is, why? Well, let me just say this very quickly. You know what? The reason why many of us choose to just keep on going in circles is because Kadesh Barnea really wasn't that bad of a place. It was an oasis town. And it's right on the edge of the promised land. In fact, it's this land had good soil and the abundant agriculture that was characteristic of the promised land, but it wasn't quite there. It was still kind of desert terrain. It was a place just outside of God's fullness. It was enough of a supply to keep the people from desiring more. It was just enough to survive, but not to thrive. It was plush. It was comfortable. Just clear. The water was just clear enough. And the living conditions just comfortable enough to make it a place where they can just <sighs> settle. The Israelites settled for a desert rather than fight for a better land. Sounds kind of like you and me sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, we're going to see, they're going to see that the promised land was way too risky. I mean, that there was some risk involved. Did you know, this is very interesting, that there was 12 tribes of the Israelites, two and a half tribes decided and asked Moses, listen, why don't we just stay on this side of the promised land? There were two and a half tribes that never entered into the promised land. Let me tell you who there are. They're Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of this tribe called Manasseh. They decided just to stay east of the promised land, just east of the River Jordan, for it, it had these rich pastures and these... These tribes, they had a lot of cattle, and they thought, you know what, it's just too risky. Let's don't risk it. So these two and a half tribes became complacent, and they never entered into the land that God had promised them. They didn't want to take the risk of what happens if they cross over into enemy territory. Just on the edge of abundance, they elected to stay permanently outside of God's land. And I wonder, are we that way this morning? I mean, some of you would rather settle for a desert in your marriage rather than fight to make it better. You know, I hear some couples say this, you know what, we just never fight. Let me tell you, that's not a good thing. When I hear couples say, we just don't fight, what that tells me is one or two things. One person has just just got on their back and played dead, and they're not willing to really fight for the relationship anymore. That's usually what happens. Or that somebody, the other extreme, is that somebody is really controlling. Both are not healthy. Let me tell you, my wife and I, we've been married for 19 years. We still fight. We still do. Now, some of you, think, you're the preacher. Aren't you supposed to have a perfect marriage? Well, um, we can't have a perfect marriage because I'm not perfect. She's not here right now, and I can take you, She ain't perfect. <laughs> I'm just saying, I love her. And, and she was up on the stage. She would tell you the same thing about me. But let me tell you about this. We sometimes have some knockdown dragouts. But you know what? We know at the end, we're going to stay committed to one another. We are going to fight to make this relationship better. And some of you, that's what you need to commit to do. You've been living on the edge of the promised land for too long in your marriage, and you've just been settled. And that is not where God wants you to be. In fact, what does John chapter 10, verse 10 say? Jesus said, I come so that you may have life and have it how? More abundantly. That's exactly right. God just doesn't want you to settle. Some of you, you're settling with the relationships with your stepkids. You think, well, I'm not the the real dad. I'm not the real mom. Bunk. Let me tell you, if you are in that house and you have influence over them, then you are the man, you are the woman that God has placed in their life to help influence and shape them. Period. You've got to be willing to fight for it. You've got to be willing to do the hard work to be able to make this promised land living better. But many of us just would rather settle for a desert than to fight for a better land. Have you ever settled for less than the fullness of what God is offering you? Have, you? have you ever become complacent with the good when God's offering you the best? I mean, I, I mean that just sometimes that just happens. It just happens. I mean, we're willing to uh, are we willing to walk away from some things and say no to some good things because they're not the best things? I mean, did you know and this is interesting? At this point. God's people, Israelites, cannot be destroyed by, by Satan. Cannot. In fact, this is what God talks about you and me if you're a Christ follower. That Satan cannot destroy us. Satan knows that. But let me tell you what our enemy can't do. If he can't destroy us, he's going to distract us. And he'll distract you with some good things. We talked about this last week about the encumbrances in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. So that's what happens. They get distracted and they just start looking at what they've got. Why do we want to go there when it's so nice here? Now, let me talk to you about what happens. They get right on the edge of Cadets Barnea, right here. Some of y'all, I know, are praying for me to fall off. It's not going to happen. Not going to Um, They get right on the edge and Moses chooses 12 men from the 12 different tribes and, and they're spies and he sends them into the promised land and they're to scope it out. All right? They are to do some recon work. They are to formulate a battle plan. All right? So that is exactly what they do. The spies go in and they do some snooping around. So let's see what happens. Got your Bible? Numbers chapter 13. That's where we're going to be the rest of the morning. Numbers chapter 13. says this about the spies. When When they came to the valley of Eskol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. (laughs) That's a lot of grapes, right? They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and the figs. That place was called the Valley of Eskol. By the way, in Hebrew, that word means what? Cluster. Why? Because the cluster of grapes the Israelites' men cut there. So God gave the spies... In their own hands a cluster of God's ability they put God put proof and evidence that God is amazing right in the palm of their hands and it was so big this proof that it took a guy here and a guy here and it on a pole and it just coming all the way down how many of y'all been to Publix yet all right I mean what I hear about Publix is the fruit and, and, and it's just amazing Okay, it could be amazing. It ain't that amazing, right? I mean, I mean, I. You can get some grapes from Publix, but you know, you got you're not going to have like two bad boys. Do you mind if we carry this out to your, you know? No, no, no. It's that good, but it ain't that good. You see, that's what happens in the Promised Land. It's so amazing. I'm going to keep on reading. God is faithful. Look at verse 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore and it is indeed a bountiful country. A land flowing with milk and honey. Let me just stop right there. You know, we keep on hearing this land flowing with milk and honey. What does that mean? Well, Back in Egypt, you had, if there's, in fact, you saw it on the on the map. If there's any green in Egypt, it's because it, it, it happened around that, that Nile Delta, right? Well, that's what gave the Egyptians, that's how they were able to do crops. But in Israel, you didn't have just one big source of life. There was pasture land everywhere, and it was all dependent upon God sending rain. Now, the milk. If you're able to get a lot of milk, that means you have cows to produce the milk, right? Thank you for coming to one church. you have cows to produce the milk, which means you've got cattle in the land and there's enough grass to sustain the cattle. So when it says a land flowing with milk, all right, that means there's a lot of grass everywhere with a lot of cattle eating and producing that stuff in a recycling program called 2%. right? (laughs) Now, you've got honey, all right? What makes honey? Not pooh Right? The bees. And here you have bees, and you have all of these flowers and all this stuff growing that's able to pollinate and able to get all of this honey. So it's just, it's just, it's just saturated with goodness. All right? Now, I'm going to keep on going. It's a land full of milk and honey, and here's the kind of fruit it produces. And here's when they go, ta-da! Look at these grapes. Look at these spades. Look at these pomegranates. But what is that next word? Let's all say that out loud. But. Here is a big but and the In fact, I may do a series here once It's called Big Butts. I cannot lie. I'm just saying. But. But. But the people living there are what? Powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Oh my laws, he made me. All of these big, bad people are already there. I'm going to keep on going. Look at verse 30. But but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. I mean, this is one of those guys with a different spirit, right? But the other men who explored the land with him, those were the other ten spies, they disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour, will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw are huge. We even saw giants there in the Sitts of Anak. Next to them, we felt like what? Grasshoppers. Grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. The spies come back. And they have a report. They have the fruit of the land already in their hands. And yet the report of what they give ran contrary to what they already had in their hands. They had the evidence that God is who he says he is. And he can do all he says he do. But they still chose not to believe. And there's one key word I've already pointed out here. And it's the word but. But the people living there are powerful. But. There's a but. Is there a But. But's in your life when it comes to excuses? I mean, do you have evidence that God can do some amazing things? But. I mean, I mean, do you still make excuses? Yeah, I know God did this in my finances last month. But. I know God made my marriage better last year. But. We give excuses. And so many times, think about this, these spies saw all of the ten plagues. They saw the river turning to blood. They saw the sun darkening. They they went like this walking through the Red Sea on dry land. They saw it all. They saw the cloud descend on Mount Sinai. They heard God's voice in the thunder. They saw it all. And in in the end, they went into the land and they got all of this proof these things. But they still chose not to believe. Let me tell you, you and I, we can show up here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and we can hear about the goodness of God and the greatness of God, and we can sing songs about how great is our God. We can do all of this stuff and still choose to leave here and not believe. We can still choose to live here and it doesn't really affect the way we live. And that is a huge travesty. This 40-day excursion took a 40 year detour because of this one word but but when we decide to do things our own way and leave God out of it we think, you know what, we're just going to settle for the good and we don't want the risk of God's best let me tell you something what's risky to us to God, it's a sure thing did you know that? You see, we're on the other side of it. On the other side of the coin, it looks like a big rest. And it ain't a rest. It's like my son. Like, I love my son, Bing. I love all of them. But Bing's my youngest. And he's still kind of relying on me. When I go into a pool, he's on the side of the pool. He's right on the edge. He's going dead. I'm going to jump. I'm like, okay, I'm in the water. Jump. Will you catch me? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a certain, Certainty in my life. I'm there. Jump. Jump. I'll catch you. You sure you're going to catch me? You see, it's a risk in this time. But me being his dad, it's a foregone conclusion. I got you, boy. I got you. Hey, go ahead jump. That is exactly how our heavenly my father. What's a risk in our minds? and his minds, he's like, i got to take care of. Them. All you got to do is show up. And just like I rescued you out of Egypt, I'm going to kick them out. And they're like, I don't think so. It's too big of a risk. And that is exactly what happened. Let me tell you about these 12 spies. Look at Numbers chapter 13, 2 and 3. I'm running out of time, so I've got to hurry up through this. Moses... Is talking to the people and um, this is what uh, God talks to Moses and then Moses does this says, send out men to explore the land of Canaan the land I have given the Israelites and God tells Moses send one what is that next word? leader, what does it say? send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes so Moses did as he commanded him and he sent out 12 men all tribal leaders of Israel It's repeated twice. What type of men were these? Leaders. These were leading men. These these 12 spies and 10 of them who brought back a bad report, these were supposed to be the influencers of the crowd. These were the men that everyone else looked up to. They influenced their decisions. They took their problems to these men. These men should have been able to decipher through all of these problems. They They looked to them. God told Moses, you choose the leading men And he chose the influencers from the bunch. So let me ask you a big question. What type of influencers do you have in your life? You see, because these men chose not to believe God, everybody chose not to believe God. And they all voted, hey, who wants to go into the land? How many of y'all want to go? And like, Moses is like, I'll go. Joshua. Joshua. I'm there. Caleb, I'm there. Anyone else? All right, we got three. How many of y'all don't want to go in the land? And 1,999,997 voted against going into the land. And you know what? That 1,999,997 people were wrong. Chuck Swindoll said it like this it's doubtful if the majority has ever been right. And let me tell you, this is the only place in Scripture where everybody gets to vote on something. And guess how it turned out? Eh, right? Some of you came from a church where let's just vote on it. Let me tell you, the only time I can see a congregational rule ever in the scripture is right here, and everybody died. So have fun with that one. Just telling you. Seriously. Seriously. Crazy, I know. So, but, and this is so important. You can be, there could be only three people on your side, but let me just say this. If God is on your side, you got a majority. And let me, tell you, when is it the majority ever been right? So many of us, we want to vote with the majority. We want to have this, but God tells us time and time again, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be in the minority. I mean, think about this. How many, I mean, God took Jesus and 12 disciples and turned the world upside down. They were in the minority. God used a, a little shepherd boy by the name of David to feed a big old nasty nine foot giant. David was in the minority, but he stood with God. You know what that made him? Majority, right? I mean, think about just America. America was founded when a minority of people chose to rebel against King George. I mean, think about the civil rights movement. The reason why we, uh, we can all be able to vote and we all can be able to, is because in blacks and whites can be able to have equal opportunities. And there is no separate but equal. That happened because a minority of people chose to stand up and say, you know what, I have a dream. When has the majority ever been right? So, if you're waiting, you know what? I'm just going to wait for the majority. You're going to be waiting a long time. Or let me tell you, if you're standing with the majority, you probably jacked up. I'm just telling you. Because most times, most times, God chooses the sides with those who choose right. And usually those people are in the few and far between. So, what happens? The, the spies come back, they give the bad report. And in, they influence all of these people, and they all vote on it, and they say, we ain't going in. So God shows up in a big cloud and starts talking to Moses, and literally, you got to read this. God says to Moses, just let me kill him. Let me kill him. Seriously, I'm ready. I'm done. Let me kill him. And Moses is like, let's talk, all right? So Moses starts talking with God, and God says, no, no, I'm serious. I will make you a great nation. I will still be faithful to all the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But these people got to go. They got to go. How I many of y'all ever felt like that with your children? With your Lord, right? I, got to go. I got to kill them. Alright? So, but you know what? It says God relented because when Moses was very humble. He says, you know what? Let's, let's just hang out. This is what happens. The 10 spies that give the bad report die immediately. They kill over immediately. And then God tells Moses... To tell the entire Israelites, you know what, for the next 40 years, you're going to wander around this Kadesh Barnea, never entering into the promised land. And for the next 40 years, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb are going to lead you. And for the next 40 years, Moses is going to do a bunch of funerals because you're not going to enter into the land until all of this generation dies out. That's what he says. You're not going to enter into the land until everybody who's 20 and over dies. And then I am going to raise up a new generation who will follow me wholeheartedly. And that is exactly what happened. All because 10 men chose to see themselves as grasshoppers. The last verse I'm done. I want to go back and read this because this is where we get our big idea. So they spread the bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And here's the point. Next to them. when you What are you saying? Keep that up there. When, you're, when you compare us to them. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers and that's what they thought too. When these people saw the giants and they saw themselves, they totally forgot about the bigness of their God. If you and I want to continue to gain momentum in our spiritual life, then we're going to need to surround ourselves with the right people who influence us. These are the people who have big God thinking, not grasshopper thinking. Our big idea today is this. Grasshopper thinking is when we allow attitudes and problems to cause us to doubt what God can do. When we surround ourselves with those who have a small view of God and a big view of their circumstances, they influence us to disobey God, and we wander in the desert. Now, some of you, that's, I'm, just, I'm challenging you to be close. Some of you, you need to disassociate with some of these people. Now hear me. They may be church people. They may go to this church. They may go to another church. You may like having them; they may be funny. They may, you may like having coffee with them. You may like doing a Bible study with them. But God is telling you, you know what, if they're small thinkers, if they're grasshopper thinkers, you can be the friend, but you don't need to be their close friend. Because if you are, they will influence you. Let me tell you, one of the things we tell our students all the time is you want to know the direction of your life, all you've got to look at is the friends that you choose. That is key. Some of you parents, you know that because you've got a teenager who was like this and then they went that way. And you're like, what happened? You know exactly what happened. They got around a different group of people. So my question is, we close, who is influencing your life? Are you surrounding yourself with people who say, you know what, you just need to leave that bum? He doesn't appreciate you. No, no, no. What you need to do is you need to leave that bum you listen to. Let me tell you, my God is the God of the second, third, fourth chance, and he can take that marriage, that's all jacked up, and he can just trick it out. That's what our God can do. Some of you, you're like, you've got people surrounding you and just negative, negative, negative. And some people, I, I had this one person in my life not too long ago, who's just negative. He says, that's just how I am. Well, let me tell you, that may be how you are, but that's not how God wants you to be. Because if you look at the bigness of your God even when you are surrounded by nine foot giants, they look like little munchkins. We represent, right? <laughs> I'm
1: telling you guys,
0: you can get such a big view of God that even Wilt Chamberlain's look like the little people. So right now, you've got some circumstances that look massive in your life. Kicking the slacks out of it. Where you need to look is not at your circumstances. You need to look to God and not have grasshopper thinking, but have big God thinking. I want to give you two challenges. First challenge is surround yourself with big God thinkers, not grasshopper thinkers. The second challenge is this one. For some of you, you just need to have a cluster keeper, if you will. Some of you, some of your prayers right now, you're struggling through. some of you just got home from a deployment, maybe you're getting ready to go to a deployment, and you're praying and you, you have these requests, what you need to do is you need to start writing those down, and then when God answers the request, you need to write that down beside it, put the date beside it, so that that can be the evidence of the greatness of your God in your hands. Because let me tell you what happens, is we have a tendency to forget God, and forget God's business. We have a tendency to go, you know what? Okay, he fixed this last week. But now when something else happens, you open up your cluster people. You can say, this is what God did. If God did this, if he did this in my marriage, if he did this in my finances, if he did this on my job, if he repaired this relationship, if he fixed this, then maybe I can just give him a present mess right there, my, my, my giant mess. My And he will take care of it. He will take care of it. So, got a couple of questions that we're going to be done. The first one is this. What if your spouse is the person that has grasshopper things? Mm, That's a good question. That's a really good question, actually. You know, one of the things that you can't do is leave your spouse. That's not what God's word says. You know, I think one of the things that I would just really encourage you to do is if your spouse is the one who has grasshopper thinking, you need to surround yourself with, and it's really important for you to surround yourself with the support people around you who are big God thinkers. Because I'm telling you, when you're at home and you're with him or you're with her alone, it's going to be easy to just feel that negativity to bring it down. But I'm telling you, the, the people you do your life with outside of him or her, your spouse, let them lift you up. Let them bring you up. I mean, let them, I mean, and you just be honest with them, and it's, you're just going to have to be really intentional to surround yourself with big God thinkers, because, you know, and I would say this, pray, pray that God would change them, we're going to talk about this a lot next week, but prayer will work, it will either change them or it will change them, sometimes we are, we think our spouse is the biggest problem, and you know what, who's the biggest problem? I need move from preaching to meddling on that one. How do you know uh, which relationships to fight for and which ones to let go? That's a great question. All right. Um, First one is this: is um, I would say this if it's your if it's your spouse, you fight for it, baby. Let me tell you one of the things that I will start yelling at people. All right, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I just you got to fight for your marriages. So, hear what I'm saying, people. I need to hear somebody say yes. yes. Thank you, dear Jesus. Seriously, I'm going to come out there and start screaming. All right? You've got to fight for your marriages. If you don't fight for it, no one else will. You fight for it because that is your promised land. God can, I mean, the, the, the junk of, of all of that stuff in your marriage, it is fertile soil for God to show up and do some amazing things. So the, I would just say the first thing, if you're questioning you know, what type of religion to fight for, marriage, let's just put that off the table. You, you said, I do, and you did. It's done. All right? I, my wife told me, like, I remember this, I've got to get off stage, but I remember my wife said this, she said, um, we were in seminary, we had been married a year, I remember coming home from seminary after studying the Bible, and coming in, and I hear this crying, I'm like, what's going on? My wife is in the bedroom in the closet with the doors closed. I'm like, this is never good. So I go to it, I open up the bedroom doors, and she's down on the floor and she's weeping. I'm like, you okay? She says, I just realized that God hates divorce. And I gotta live with you for the rest of my life. <laughs> what do I say at that point? Let me tell you what I did. I went. <laughs> there's no, there's no witty comeback to that. You may have had a witty comeback, line. Right? I had no witty comeback, all right? Just saying. Just saying. Let me tell you, how you decide which ones to fight for, guys, is are those people, do they have big God thinking? You know, Moses literally buried an entire generation because of their disability. And I'm telling you, if you have some relationships in here in this church, maybe you're in a community group, and you've got some people, and you're like, I think I want to get to know her more. If you're a girl, or if you're a guy, I think I want to get to know him more, because he's got something that I, that I want. She's got, And then you go for it. You fight for it. You can totally do that. So, I guess I, I think the best way to answer that question is, I think they've got this. You know, if they're your children, you fight. You know, if they're your in your family you fight for them. They're not your family, then you have the choice to surround yourself with people who see the bigness of our God. That's right. Your God, you are amazing. And God, I thank you so much, God, that we can be able to relate to these groups of people. Um, this two million people, God, who just chose to go right to the edge of your blessing but not go Because God, so many times, that's been me. I have chosen the good and I I just settled for it and I didn't get the best. Lord, one out of a million got to experience the best that you had promised. God, I pray that in this group of people, Lord, that we would be that one. Lord, that we would be that one that would choose to be able to take that step And what looks like a risk to you is a sure thing. And Lord, that we would not have grass thinking, That we would not compare ourselves to other people. And that we would not look at other people's statuses or other people's whatever, their Facebook or Twitter accounts. And compare our numbers to theirs because really the only number that really matters is us being with God. That's a majority. And God, I pray that we would stand with you, Jesus Christ. Lord, even if it's just us, that we would choose you when you chose us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.